We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Couple days before Christmas, which means it's Festivus. And we've got Festivus. a, we've got Festivus a special Festivus. Festivus airing of grievances towards the back half of this episode, kind of in the same vein as the top 10 we did last week, which was on the top 10 moments of the 2010s. I had a brain fart. My brain, as, as for other reasons that we're not going to get into. It's been operating at about like 37% efficiency for the past week. And let me tell you something. It's not good. It's not good. I feel I feel like when, for more Seinfeld references, the episode when George and Elaine switch places because George stop having stops having sex and then Elaine, her brain turns to mush because she stops having sex. So I feel like uh I feel like I'm in I'm in Elaine's position right now with my brain being mush. That said, hope everybody's being safe out there and uh, and is staying healthy. I know a lot of plans have changed. I know mine have changed, uh, given the the current climate of everything happening and, and people still getting sick. So hopefully everybody's doing all right. But um, yeah, man, the holiday season here we go. Christmas is coming up. Lots of family. Lots of uh, lots of lots of. Probably, probably tension for everybody. Lots of like, you know, pressure to go from one house to another. At least that's that's what mine is every single time. But um, I'm excited to see my family 
and uh, and get some good time with them and hang out. I know Kemp is like, this is the first year I think that he's actually like really anticipating the big man coming. And he he met him a couple times. The 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 last time this guy was a pretty good Santa, pretty good Santa, I must say. Like and a mall Kemp Santa. Had, no, it was outside at like a, a lights thing, the, like a little Christmas village type. But yeah, type, that's a mall. Uh, I didn't setup. mean literally in a mall. It's a mall Santa. Yeah, I mean as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to what? As I didn't know the, if like to someone the, in, to the someone real in Chris your, Kringle up in the North Pole. Someone in your family like dressed up as Santa Claus or something. No, nobody in my family dressed up like Santa Claus. But this dude was pretty good, and and Kemp had a lot of things to say. He was sitting there just like having a conversation with him. I'm like, all right, here we go. And uh, I got yeah, a lot so of problems with you, Santa. I got, yeah, I got a lot of problems. And I got a lot of things on my mind. So Kemp uh, did did the whole deal, and now he's very much he remembers every word, and uh, and and he's fired up. And I think I, you know this is the first year he's been at school since like before Christmas. So there's there's a lot of influence as well, and they talk about it, and you know they're singing songs about a Christmas moose, and they have or no Christmas hippopotamus. Is the what? That, that is, that a new, is that a new thing? By the way, they sang it. They started. They started rehearsing this like before before Halloween. I'm like, wait a minute. There are two holidays before Christmas comes. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's insane. So before Halloween, yeah. I mean, basically, before Halloween's crazy. Usually, bef- right after Halloween is when you start seeing Christmas stuff, and yeah. people just completely overlook Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just a blip on the radar as far as like right. stores are concerned. Stores and and yeah, just commercials yeah, exactly. like commerce no, yeah yeah <laughs> you sell some turkeys you give a bunch of stuff away that's that's it amazon's not here's some, on thanksgiving here's some like slightly less orange crap for after Hall- like halloween's super bright orange it's muted muted orange <laughs> then thanksgiving's <laughs> muted orange and then it's the green and the and the and the yellows and the and the reds for <laughs> here's some more earth tones for you <laughs> happy thanksgiving enjoy this the cornucopia of of fruit no, so he's uh he's pumped up, and uh, that's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting to to see the uh, just the excitement. You're going to do the whole face, so. milk and cookies night before type thing. Honestly, with the situation that we got going on with like where people are, and a uh, few people got got popped with the COVID, uh, so we're we're all hmm, what's that we're like? playing like musical houses to be honest. So I don't know where the hell we're going to go. I might have to make up a story about Santa. Going to the wrong house, you know, he might he might go to the wrong house by accident, and we'll have to remedy that in some in some capacity. So we got to figure this out. Still, there's still a lot of things up in the air, unfortunately. Omicron nipped Santa in the butt this year, kid. Sorry, I mean shit. Uh, anyway, so, let's let's talk about let's talk. We got about coaching staff. We got stuff. a coaching staff. I'm excited for that. They got yeah. no players, but we got a coaching staff. Well, because it's, yeah, they can announce coaching staff uh, all they want. They you can just keep adding to the coaching staff. Let's do a 26 man coaching staff. Why don't we one for one? These guys these guys need more coaching. I want a one for one coach to player ratio. Personal coaches. Sure. Yeah, personal coaches. They have to remodel that dugout. We have to. Um, you know we can load up on the minor league players too, so we can we can really bolster those uh, that triple A squad. Make sure that there there's a lot of defensive players ready to come up at at a <clears throat> at the drop of a hat. Yeah, the big things that were announced: Dylan Lawson is the hitting coach, and then I guess there's two assistants to the hitting coach: Eric Chavez and Casey Dykes. Uh, Casey Dykes was part of the Rail Riders uh, coaching staff, and Connor Foley who covers the rail riders he tweeted that the 
The AAA team's offensive numbers uh, were very good under him. They ranked first in barrel percentage, walks, hit by pitch. Hit by, hit by pitch which, is my, is my favorite. You know what, Connor? You could have left that one off. I'm not really <laughs> sure the hitting coach can control. I guess you could say crowd the plate, kid. Crowd yeah, the plate. Yeah, yeah. Control, control the zone. Control the strike zone. That's Don't what he's be doing. afraid to uh, turn into the pitch. Uh, on it's your terms, your terms, kid. Your terms. Don't worry. <laughs> that's not his plate. That's yours. On base percentage was second. Runs per game was fourth. OPS fifth. Average fifth. Doubles fifth. Home homers eighth. Slugging percentage eighth. So, so I mean, good, pretty good offensive numbers under Casey Dykes. And then Eric Chavez, obviously, pretty. But hold on, pretty good. The, the, just real quick on that one. What I see come coming from those those numbers and the statistics. If you're looking at rankings and just you know taking that with a grain of salt, but. Uh, the the slugging percentage and home runs per game eighth not you know not ideal not what you're looking for probably uh, if you're if you're a big power guy but what I do see is a lot of walks a lot of a lot of runs scored um, I'm seeing you know the the fact that the doubles are in the top five I like that this is like where a, you're there's at. there's a lot this of movement really there's a lot at. of movement and guys running around the bags this is what like. the MLB lockout has done to you you're getting number excited. one in barrel percentage love that you're getting excited about AAA offensive rankings under Casey Dykes who is the now tutelage of one of the two Casey assistant Dykes. hitting coaches on yes. the Yankees coaching can only imagine the other benefits that the other guys I mean Eric Chavez we were calling for that one I wanted Eric Chavez hey, man. purely because the man's a gold glove uh you know a perennial gold glover and why did they just name him like fielding fielding coach like because he can hit too he he was a no, good I know that he was a good offensive player during his career I know that but I, I think for see if I were in the Yankees PR uh, team, right? I would say you're going to get more goodwill if you name Eric Chavez like fielding czar or something, something like that. Like just to get fans being like, oh, a multi-time gold glove winner is going to make sure our infield defense isn't shit next year. And yeah, well, he can help out on the coach, on the hitting coaching too. But like, let's just drill fundamental baseball into these idiots. That's what I would like. I mean, they will be, but but you would be a terrible PR person because the the gold glove doesn't sell anything. Nobody, the 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 casual fan is not concerned about that. But they hear a name, Eric Chavez, that they know, and they hear hitting coach. They're like, oh, okay, that'll help the team. If you have that's PR. What's with this? What's with the the multiple hitting assistant assistant? Like like this is a new thing because they did it with um the last guys too uh Thames and um Pilateri, right uh they yeah. were they were like tandem hitting coaches like you're wh- seeing what's this, this across about? the league with multiple with multiple teams so yeah I, like I I mean, I'm, I'm not I being think... sarcastic I'm not being sarcastic anymore like why why do you think this is a, more of a trend versus <laughs> just the for the, for for everybody listening you were being very sarcastic before we started recording and that's why you're adding that disclaimer right now well no I just so, feel like I was being sarcastic with naming Eric Chavez fielding czar or something like that but but no, but it's like, okay, so now you have a hitting coach and two assistant hitting coaches. Like, yeah, why? Because because why not? Why not have extra guys in there looking at at what's what's happening? Guys that know what they're doing. I I love it. I like that. Like it's why do you need to have why is there one hitting coach? That's I think that's a better question actually. Why why when you have a, a a full team of guys that are playing 162 games a year, why is there only one hitting coach? Shouldn't there be well, multiple? No. I mean, there's multiple pitching coaches. If you look at the bullpen and the and and no, you know, the, so um, here, 
there was never just one hitting coach, right? Even dating back, I mean, maybe way, way back. Yeah, one announced one hitting there, coach. There's so. one announced hitting coach. He's the guy who gets the credit or gets the blame for whatever happens on the offense. But he has a team working under him, which is the exact same situation. So now they're just naming it. They're just giving, there's just public, I guess, information on here are the assistant hitting coaches. Um, great. Cool. I mean, maybe Eric Chavez, you know, fought for that. And, and, and the, it's important to, to these guys to have these titles because eventually when they go on to try and become actual hitting coaches or bench coaches or managers one day, they have this on their resume. So fine. Cool. Yeah. I mean, whatever you want to call it, they, there is one hitting coach and then there are assistant hitting coaches. So yeah, they're supporting the hitting coach. I, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I, I think more, more professional guys who know what they're doing around the hitting is a good thing. And Eric Chavez can also help in other ways, which is which is fantastic. So a bunch of new um, he's got a little under. bit of managerial experience too. I think he took over for one of the minor league teams uh, in the Angels organization last year as well. So he's 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 been around baseball, uh, and he was he was like a special assignment guy for Cashman for a minute. He he's um he's been around baseball since he left. So I like that, and he's and seeing it from a different angle. So he he was a he's the type of player that I want in there. A bunch of new coaches on the staff this year. So Boone's got uh, a new group under him, which is, I think, a good thing. Um, you know, once we learn that Aaron Boone is going to be back, change the only other thing that we could do that they could do is see new coaches underneath him to give him and, support. Yeah, yeah. Give, give different, him different support, better different support. support, different support. Yeah, because they clearly were not. I mean, clearly the Cashman was not happy with the coaching staff under him. And also the results weren't there. So it's like, and the big one, like I feel like Phil Nevin got a lot of heat after the season, right? And way and too it, influential, way yeah, too influential. Phil Nevin, and, and that was one of the that was one of Boone's hires, if you remember. Yeah, he, they didn't was, like <laughs> that he had that he had his boy on the staff and uh, and got into when you hire a friend, stuffing nerds in lockers. When you hire a friend, it better work out, <laughs> or else or else it's gonna be it's gonna be hell to pay. And yeah, Booney, Booney, I will stuff that kid back in the locker again in the seventh inning if you don't make this move. I mean, we over the years liked Phil Nevin's fire because we thought that was good. What? I have no problem with Phil Nevin. I don't. I think Phil Nevin is just the the uh, he's the scapegoat for the analytical side of of the game, and he sure. he's like he's the uh, he's the boomer in the room, and they didn't want that anymore, so they got rid of him. He 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 had to hit the road this this off season. Yeah, so new coaching staff. We'll see how it goes. A couple of more managerial updates. experience in there, which is something that I like a lot. I mean, we talked about Luis sure. Rojo, Rojas in there as third base coach, and they have they have him uh, dubbed as an outfield coach as well. Uh, fine, like the, he's a he's a another fundamental guy. So I, I think that when you're looking at it for face value, again, take it for what it is. I don't see a problem with any of these additions. I see positives. I agree. I, I it's hard to when unless you're talking about a manager like the Mets just hired Buck Walter, right? And unless you're talking about a manager, the reality is none of us really know how effective a pitching coach or a hitting coach or an assistant hitting coach or a bench coach or a third base coach are going to be. Ultimately, it's really only the manager that you can praise or complain about, and those are the hires that. You can really, I think, only have a justifiable opinion one way or the other on. Otherwise, you're kind of just talking out of your ass. 
I'm not talking to you. I'm talking in general. It's like if you're out there and you're upset or or about any of these hires, it's like I mean, pitching coaches absolutely. Pitching coaches absolutely make real can make a real difference. I didn't. I no, no, getting, I, you're misunderstanding me. I'm not saying none of them can make differences. I'm saying we as fans don't know what kind of impact they can make until we see it. So when you're just talking about a hire, it's like, yeah, fine. Trust that Cashman and his team found the right person for the job. Because I can't sit here and tell you that Casey Dykes and Eric Chavez and all these other guys are going to be good or bad because in reality, I don't know. So I'm not going to waste my time getting upset or overly happy about these hires until I just see how the team performs on the field because ultimately, that's what's going to dictate our satisfaction level with these hires. Can I be honest? What you're saying right now is very stupid. This is I could do I could do the same thing with a manager. Like what you're saying right now, I think no a manager shit. a manager no is different. Shit, a manager, the manager is in this case does nothing. Does nothing. We know more. we have he, context. He chooses no, no, he has no decisions. But we have so much more context with managers. Okay, we didn't with Aaron Boone. No, we. But I'm saying in general with managers. Like if you're a Mets fan, you can. I think it's justifiable. To be and either excited or not excited about the Buck Showalter hire because Buck Showalter has a 35, 40 year history of managing baseball and you can point him and you recognize and you remember decisions that he made and you can either say those were good decisions or bad decisions. Like Buck Showalter, I think, is a great manager and unfortunately in Baltimore, he's only remembered for not using Zach Britton in the wildcard game in whatever whatever that year a, that was. That was a very bad move. It was a very horrendous move. move. It was a horrendous move. But like, Okay, so if you're a Mets, I was actually talking to uh, some some Mets fans friends, and and like we were talking about that. I was like, yeah, other like he gets remembered for that, but the the guy knows how to manage baseball. So it's like you can, I think, get excited or you can be upset with the decision your team makes for manager hire. But then when you start talking about these coaches, it's like, come on, be real. Like, no, what you have to do, you're 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 going, you take these, you take things too far. What you have to do is, first of all, you don't have to get all fired up like it's the greatest thing in the world. But what you can do is look at personnel, look at the type of players they are, or the, the type of players they were, the type of coaches they were, the experience that they have, and now what that adds to the room. And I do think that that's an important piece of it, because we know where Aaron Boone's deficiencies are, to your point of understanding the manager and having better expectations for a manager. He's been here now. We know what his deficiencies are. So now I'm looking at these people that are being surrounded that are surrounding Aaron Boone. And I'm saying, okay, his strength is this. His strength is this. This guy, very good, you know, uh, understanding of, of X and X during his playing career could, could fit the room well. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at how they can potentially fit into the puzzle and, and what they bring to the table and the attributes that these guys bring to the table, whether they make an impact or not. Yeah, we'll, 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 the time will tell. But understanding what they're bringing to the table I think are all positive things and 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 they made some good decisions here. I agree. My point was that that you're trying to get mad about it. No, I'm not trying to get mad about anything. I'm I'm saying trying to get mad about people getting happy for the coaching staff. I'm happy. No. Eric Chavez. No, no, I'm, not ha- I'm pumped no, no, no. up. Let's I, go. <laughs> fired up for my Eric point Chavez. is that I don't think anyone can be overly happy happy or overly pissed off about coaching staff hires. And if you are, get a grip. That was my point. Can I talk about the the lockout, a couple of lockout updates uh, before first, we do First, let's talk about Showalter a little bit more too. What do you, as far as the fit with 
with the Mets. The Mets have been, here's what I think is very interesting. And I heard a couple comments from Showalter as well about this, but the Mets have made a public and, and very you know concerted effort to, to talk about their investment in analytics and, and how that is something that they're moving forward um, and doubling down on. Like they're being very, very open and, and public about that. Buck Showalter, very old school manager, very much a guy that has, you know, has, has definitely taken the contrarian angle of analytics in some cases. In some cases, I've seen it. But what he's talking about now is that the Orioles did not have any investment at all in analytics, and he wished they did. So he's excited for the added investment of the numbers and the analytics. You cannot I thought that get, was interesting. You cannot get hired as a manager in today's baseball if you're an analytics denier. You have to embrace analytics or else you do not get a job. And there's only 30 of these jobs in baseball. So you have to agree to it or else you don't get a job. Buck Showalter actually was one of the earlier adopters in baseball of analytics. Now, the analytics of the 90s pale in comparison Very to the analytics yeah. today. But in the 90s, some analytics like focusing on OPS versus focusing on batting average was looked at as like, what are you crazy? No, I want a 300 hitter. Whereas there were some front offices and managers at back in the 90s being like, well, yeah, 300 hitters are great, but 900 OPS is really what like a guy I'm going for. I don't care what his batting average is if his, if his OPS is that number. So there was Buck Showalter was actually on the early adopter of some of those things. And if you read anything about those 90s Yankees teams that he managed, he he tried to instill some of that in the front office. And, and it worked, obviously, because even though he didn't win championship, those teams went on to, to win. Uh, Did he deny the analytics when uh, when Zach Britton was still? That's not an the, analytics. That was not an analytics. That was a, just a stupid. That was like. You see coaches in all sports make mistakes. I mean, like he made that. that decision for one reason, and what was the reason? It wasn't a numbers. It definitely wasn't a numbers. He wanted to reason. get he wanted to bring him in, in a safe situation. That was the reason. Right. So that to me, that's like an old school baseball mentality right there. That's stubborn old baseball is what that that's, is, right? Uh that that's his feel, or was no, that like part of a just, game plan? That sounds like a, a Girardi binder. So he brought in he brought in Abaldo Jimenez, who was like their long man. Right. And he could have gone to Zach Britton, who would have done probably two innings max, and then Abaldo Jimenez. So he looked at it like I'm it was the wrong decision, let me be clear. But he looked at it like I'm gonna bring in Jimenez to try and get me length so my offense can scratch across a run in extra innings, and then I'm locking it down with Britain. In an, in a in any other game of the year, what he did was correct. But in a winner take all playoff game, what he did is wrong. You Go in order of effectiveness until you're throwing your backup catcher out there on the mound and there's no one left. It's like you do not save anyone in a game seven situation. I know this was a wild card game, but it's whatever. You you get my point. A game, you know, yeah. a do or die situation. So he was wrong there. It's like, I don't it's like trying to get through the rest of the order with CeCe when you can tell that he's completely done. <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily need some length. I don't know that that's necessarily an analytics decision as much as like he had a brain fart. I mean. I, I doubt he had a brain fart in that moment. I think he actually had conviction in what he thought. So, it, But my point is, is that it was not influenced by analytics at all. Well, I think and a lot of the, when you're looking at Buck Walter and you just hear the commentary from Buck Walter, even in the Yes uh, in the yes studio, you know, he, he definitely has that old school approach. But from what it seems like, he's really taking this blended approach. And you're right, he, he embraced 
I'm, I'm not even calling them analytics. I'm calling them like some statistics from the 90s. They weren't really like deep analytics at that point. But he looked at he looked at the game first and foremost as a baseball guy and and just you know has his feel for <laughs> baseball. And I think what he's going to be doing is is layering in um, the analytics and and making decisions based on all of the above, which I actually like that approach, I think is the right approach. And I think it's a good hire for the Mets because obviously Buck Schalter has dealt with New York media before. He has dealt with criticism as a manager before, and he has a long history of success as a manager. Even though he hasn't won a championship, he's been a successful manager. So if the team gets off to a rocky start or goes through a slump in the middle of the season, the media is not going to immediately just rip him to shreds and have the guy crumble like some of these other Mets managers have because they've been hired without that same pedigree that Buck Showalter has. So I think it's it's a good overall, it's a good hire for the Mets. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think I would say that probably of anybody who hired Buck Showalter. I just think he's a good baseball guy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, a couple of lockout updates before we air some grievances. So the two sides did meet this past week, uh, but they only met on, quote, non-core economic issues. Things like scheduling, the all-star game, drug and domestic violence policies, grievance procedures, and special events. So great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for meeting on all those. I don't want to say all meaningless because drug and domestic violence policies are not meaningless, but like, oh, you're talking about the all-star game? I could give a flying crap what you do with the all-star game. Figure out the main issue here which is the economic discrepancies that these two sides have. And apparently they have not met on those yet. Don't you see what's happening here? This is, uh, this is gamesmanship. This is, this is building rapport before you get into tackle the, the other ones. So some, they're, they're, they're just trying to get some momentum going, you know, get a little momentum going, get in the room. Let's, uh, let's hang out. Let's, 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 let's have some, um, some casual, some casual dialogue along with these other these other you know pieces of the CBA that that are not the uh, the highly contested pieces. Build a little momentum, get some get some uh, agreeing happening, and then and then drop some bombs. It's like when you sit. It's like when you step into a batting cage to take batting practice. You do a couple yeah. bunts first, just get bat on ball. Then not anymore. <laughs> nobody does bunt. No, Luis Rojas under Eric Chavez. Chavez. They will be bunting the first ones. There will uh, Pepper will be back. Let's, this is, I'm very excited. The fungal bat's coming out. Oh, see, see coaching staff, baby. The, uh, the, 
the article I read, it was uh, posted on ESPN, said that January will obviously big, be the big month of negotiations on the core economic issues, including free agency, an age, uh, a possible switch to an age-based system, the arbitration system, and revenue sharing among clubs. And there was a quote in here, um, not a quote, but the article stated, you know, it asked the question, why can't these two sides compromise? And it, it pointed back to the 2016 collective bargaining agreement and when the players are were not happy with how that turned out. And it said, or as they say, how the game has changed since. And I don't know, that kind of stuck out to me. It's like how the game has changed since 2016, because it's not that long ago. But what they're really talking about here, I think, is by the game changing, it's how teams approach roster building since 2016. That's been the biggest change in the past five years, wouldn't you say? What do you mean by that? Do you mean because of the luxury tax and how they're 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 changing in the way they did develop or go international or what the what do you players, mean? The players that front offices value, I think, yeah. has changed significantly in the past five years than it did, say, in the five years from 2011 to 2016. I, I'm still not not picking up what you're putting down a little bit. Be be more specific in what you're what you're getting to. On the pitching like, side, starting pitchers have been devalued among teams, and they're more just focused on guys on relief pitching and guys who can throw 80 pitches or less at 100 miles an hour. Those are that's except how, for the except for the top of the market. The top of the market is still very very much valued and overvalued. Okay, but that that that's the top one percent of the pitching market. Like. Max Scherzer is going to get $44 million in the free agent market. It's but not the top 1%. It's it's the top chunk what are of most, that free agent market is what, what are, it is. But many rosters out there are not filled with veteran depth pitching options anymore. They're filled with minor league guys who cycle in and out, throwing 99 miles an hour, and, and that's it. it, it it's kind of like, to use the absolute extreme, the Rays approach to pitching staff building. Okay, so And then on the hitting side, the the three true outcomes has really become more important. Uh, teams are not caring about strikeouts; they only care about home runs and walks, and that's how rosters, offenses have been built on a lot of teams, and, and that devalues a lot of the the other uh, position players on the market. And, and so, I, I, I would I, actually say that the so the circumstances of the game too, with uh, even the in the balls being juiced. Um, the, well, the balls have been juiced and then de-juiced and then seems raised, seems lowered. Despite, but, like, but in the, the, but if you're looking at the last five years, there's been a lot of discrepancy in the way that the game oh has my been God, played yeah. for, for that reason too. And, and for because sure. of that, and because of that, what you're saying, how they're building the roster has changed. And part, a, a lot of that is because of the, the training and the way that the, um, the, the output is happening based on the different factors, ball being juiced, the substances being used by pitchers, like all these things. And I'd say in the last five years, you're seeing a bunch of, you know, a, a bunch of uh, different, different um, opportunities that, that they, they even had in the, in the playing field from before that. So, but and, th- I think that influences the roster, the roster. Yeah, it's all connected. Along obviously. with the luxury tax. It's all connected. It's obviously all connected. And, and I mean, the luxury tax though, has not changed significantly since, uh, since this, but how teams treat the luxury tax has yes. changed, and how players uh, are valued. Yeah, a- a- and then obviously that's changed the product on the field because the players on the field are 
have different skill sets uh, and and focus on different things than they did prior to that. So, so okay, so the players are not happy with how the game has changed. Ultimately, what they mean is how we're getting paid. Um, that's ultimately what they care about. To your to your point though, what you were talking about with building the pitching staff with younger guys, and I think over the last five years, another huge shift in what we've seen is these these veteran players that are you know mid thirties uh, that that definitely had jobs much longer you know in the in in the earlier in the decade um, and and before that they're just not getting signed anymore or they're getting signed by you know much some very small contrast. And a lot of guys uh, are are de- it's a real decision now. Do I go play overseas, yeah. or do I sign a one or two year deal below what I could get overseas to play in the U.S. still? And and the, and the players that they're coming up to the major leagues are younger and more. And every year this gets more and more specialized. Players yeah. are more specialized every year. You're seeing this just happening more and, and more. With like, more these guys specialization, are very very targeted. With more special spe- specialization. They don't make as much money and they burn out quicker. These guys like, I mean, look at Chad Green. Like he is not through arbitration yet. And like, what's he going to get on the free agent? He's not going to get really shit on the free agent market. He's pretty much burned out at this point. He's and not this, burned out at this point. I mean, he it, he he is he is some little cleanup away from still being a very effective. I mean, granted, he, he lost us like eight or nine games by himself last year. But, but, but the point is that like these relief pitchers that are specialized and come up, they burn out way quicker than I think it's less about burnout, but more about the volume of the, there's just more of them too. There's more competition. Right. To there's be more competition, but, but you're, you're seeing more injuries. These guys are 22 to 26 years old and they're throwing a hundred miles an hour a couple times a week. And they're just cycled through. It, 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 the injury really, factor is huge. The longevity on their career is not the same as as it was for pitchers prior to this era, and so I think just overall, these the players union is saying, "I want to get paid for when I'm most effective and being the most valuable to my team." And that's not when I'm 32; it's when I'm 22 to 26. And, and they're not wrong there, but the system does not does not provide for that, and and so. I mean, the ultimate question here is which side the players or the owners are going to budge? What which side's going to be the first to concede a little bit? I have no idea. No I think idea. ultimately, I think ultimately it'll be the owners because because they have. I was going to say they have the most to lose, but huh, I actually don't know if that's the case anymore. Um. I just think ultimately it'll be the owners because they they have they have more leverage at this point. So. They have more to gain. They have more to gain. They have more to gain when you look at they they do have a lot to lose. They, I think a lot of them could lose it, but they also have a hell of a lot more to gain getting these guys on the field uh, and, have, and making sure that the product is right. Like <coughs> these owners are there much longer than players are going to be there. So these guys have. Uh, that said, like that's another reason why they they will be stubborn because they want to make sure that the the CBA is in their favor because they understand their longevity compared to individual player longevity. Um, I think at the end of the day, there you're going to see some compromise. Like this is where it's it, there, there there has been a flippening in the sense of the the players losing the leverage like they used to. I mean, they used to have the the strongest union in sports, and it's just not it's just not the case anymore. Uh, the 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 owners have certainly gained more leverage and 
you know, I think we'll see close to something that's a, a compromise. I mean, it's still a pretty strong union and, and overall. It's a strong union, but compared to what it was. <clears throat> overall, the money in baseball, especially for the, the big free agents, is unlike it is in any other sport because it's 100% guaranteed. Yeah, I mean the basketball money is pretty. I understand there's less of them, but there's the, the last guy on the roster. The far, last guy on the roster is making a shit ton of money in the NBA. But the right? rosters are what twelve players, right? But I'm saying the last guy on the roster is making a lot of money too. So there's there's certainly a lot of. I think the NBA probably the players have gained the most power. If you look at the, uh, last, the last guy, if you look years. at the twelfth player on an NBA roster, do you think it's comparable to what the twelfth player on an MLB roster is making? No, I think they're making more. I, I don't know. I, I don't, that I don't know. I think, I I think they're making more. I don't know enough about NBA um, contract structures, but I mean, the twelfth player on a on the Yankees is making what fifteen million dollars, ten million dollars. The twelfth guy. I mean, that might be Brett Gardner. That might be uh, a fifth outfielder, or or it could be Tyler Wade as a backup infielder. No, I mean, no, what are you talking about? Talking- position players. No, the on the roster. Just top, so that, top twelve. Yeah, top twelve. The staff top all. twelve paid players on the roster. That's how. Okay, that, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking. I'm in my head. I'm thinking uh, starting lineups here. No, because you have starting nine players who right. are all played well, and you have starting three pitchers who are at the very least are paid well, and then all the bullpen guys are paid well at the top of the bullpen. So the twelfth player is making ten million bucks, twelve million bucks. Yeah, probably Aaron Hicks. Yeah, yeah. It's probably Aaron Hicks is the twelfth. If I had to guess from last year. So, so I'm just saying the 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 point is that um, I don't know the the lockout, no movement. There's not going to be any movement in in the Christmas week. Um, that's to be expected. And I think right now it's just still flying under the radar because spring training is so far away. But once the new year comes and it's January first, and you're like, oh shit, next month is when spring training starts, and these two sides are still not close. That's when there's going to be heat on it, and that's when it's going to get interesting. All right, let's do a top 10 in which we're going to air some grievances. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. Got a lot of problems with you people. And now you're going to hear about it. We have a lot of problems with these 10 Yankees who we had hype for, but ultimately have disappointed us. Number 10 on the list. So this is this is an expectations list. This is like, let's oh, yeah. go, fired up, like like the coaching staff. But then ultimately, just didn't live up to what, what was in our minds. Yes. Number 10, Aaron Boone. And you could say this as a player or as a manager. I think most people are going to say it as a manager. But even as a player, I mean, he was brought in to be the starting third baseman. He did hit the one home run in 2007, or excuse me, in 2003, game seven, and then blew out his knee. And then go that which ultimately to, did what yeah led to a rod so yeah disappointing. right so you could you could you could say you could say depending on where you are with that I mean a rod was a overall probably a positive um, impact on the field to to the New York Yankees definitely say that so at the end of the day maybe uh, maybe he did what he needed to do but as a manager, as a manager which I'm which I am on right now disappointed disappointed we, we were I think all very optimistic for the hire in 2018. We believed in Cashman, who had seemingly built the next dynasty on the field and identified that Joe Girardi was not the man for the job. And we said, okay, you're getting the keys to a Ferrari, Aaron Boone. We trust Cashman. We trust that you're going to relate to these players. And the team has regressed every year under his tutelage. So 
Aaron Boone, I got a lot of problems with you, and I've already aired them on many, many podcasts. And we will continue to air them, most likely. You have disappointed me greatly, sir. I guess for him, he has time to turn it around, right? He's got another contract. If he wins a championship, I guess all is forgiven, or some is forgiven at the very least. We'll cross that bridge. We'll cross that bridge, but the number 10 is Aaron Boone. Number nine, and this was you. I actually don't agree with this one, but number yeah, nine this is, is all me. Is Robinson Cano? Why don't you explain? Yourself? I'll tell you why. Why I got Robbie Cano on this list it's because it's because I'm a disappointed father with Robbie Cano is what I am. the 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 fact that you know he could have been one of the all time greats, he should have been one of the all time greats with the New York Yankees. Should have been a career Yankee. Greed, greed came over his eyes. He went out to Seattle. We haven't we haven't heard from him since. He's, is he still with the Mets? I don't even know. The, then he, he got popped for for Royce. He got hands. popped. He got yeah. Just he made a decision purely based on money. A lot of people will say, you know what? Can't blame that at all. Fine, you're gonna make that decision. But what Jay-Z you did in my eyes, as mind. a fan, as a fan, you know what you did in my eyes? You disappointed me. You disappointed me because you were supposed to be the second baseman forever. You were supposed to be the guy that was gonna go out there. And what happened? They went out and got scumbag Jacoby Ellsbury instead. And we all know how that went. The only thing that is uh, a positive that Jacoby Ellsbury was that that Starling Castro walk-off game, which I forgot he was even in the game, but he did hit a home run in that game. And that's the only thing I'm giving him. But yeah, Catch at the end of the day, Robbie Cano, was a good, Robbie Cano was a good Yankee while he was great here. Great Yankee, great Yankee. Very good Yankee. Oh, great, great. But he disappointed me because he didn't stay and okay. he didn't continue his career where he should have because I think it would have changed things. Do you think he did steroids with the Yankees? Yes. Do you think he would have gotten busted for steroids if he re-signed with the Yankees? Yes. So then aren't you ultimately happy with how things turned out? No, because I'm not considering that right now. But that's just, that's all, that's all, uh, you know, hearsay. Who knows? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't have. But the player that I knew, the guy that I knew, I loved Robbie Cano. I loved Robbie Cano very much. And I wanted him to stay a New York Yankee for a long time. That was what we were used to. We were used to the guys staying. And he bucked the system and left. And mm-hmm. he went to friggin' Seattle. Yep. So, yeah, he got paid. Congrats, Robbie. You got paid. You, oh, he, he got paid. He, uh, he started, you know, uh, sporting the uh, the David Ortiz chops as soon as he got there, which pissed me off even more. You know, Jay-Z, take your Yankee hat off for orchestrating that deal. <laughs> Just a lot of disappointment going around with Robbie Cano, to be honest. Number eight is Clint Frazier. When he was acquired at the trade deadline in 2016, he had he was Red Thunder. What did, what did Cashman say? Legendary bat speed. And, and we thought he was the left fielder of the future. For many, many reasons, it did not work out for Clint Frazier. Concussion issues, off-field controversy, let's call it, on whatever field, it is. On-field, on-field problems. Play. He gave us a glimmer of hope in the short season 2020 and then just fell flat on his face in 2021. You have disappointed me, Clint Frazier. I thought you were the left fielder of the future, and you are not. No, he's the left fielder of the Cubs' future now, and he's going to probably shove in Chicago and make us all very happy for him. This one, disappointing is is one disappointing in the outcome of the, of the player, I will say. I am disappointed sure, because I, I wanted him to be the guy. Yeah, yeah we all did. And we 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 thought that was a genius trade by Cashman. Number seven, Carl Pavano. Carl Pavano was signed to solidify the starting rotation in 2005, 
And uh, I actually looked this up yesterday. Uh, and I, I wanted to have you guess. Uh, I'm going to, I didn't want to write it down in our notes because it would spoil. How many games do you think Carl Pavano started for the New York Yankees? It's, it's a surprising amount. Um, I remember reading this number and he was, he was a starting, uh, he was the, he was the 2007 starter. opening day starter, which yeah. is just a mind F, but, um, three years pitched with the Yankees. How mm-hmm. many games did he start? Three years. I'm going to say 16. Oh, 26. 16 in three years? I, I, I remember it being low. So, yeah, I went lower and I thought I was going to say 20, but 20, 16. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, Still, the first year terrible. was the first year was 17. Okay. And then, and then 2006, he didn't pitch. 2007 and 2008, he pitched two and then seven. So after the right, first so the year, first year, the first year seventeen is where I, I thought it was lower in the first year. But yeah, he was he it's was really uh, not that far off to be honest. That like signing that was a, was a disaster from the beginning when when he was reportedly angry that his contract was a half a million dollars less than his agent told him. Remember that story where his agent said, "Oh, it was a forty million dollar contract," but I guess the technically, technically, it was like a thirty thirty nine point five or thirty nine point seven million dollar contract, and then he threw a conniption fit about that. Just completely unable to handle New York from the beginning. He was awful. The Yankees were desperate for starting pitching in that era, and they could just never find it. Whether it was Carl Pavano, Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson might might be an honorable mention. I know we're going to do honorable mentions, but Randy Johnson should be an honorable mention. Carl Pavano, number seven on that list. Uh, I'll go number six here. Number six is your boy, Mister X Factor himself, Mister Spring Training, Mister uh, Mister. F- I wanted to put the entire position of first base on this list, um, Mister March. He's Mister March. We're, we're itemizing it uh, and being very specific here with Greg Bird. Greg Bird, very big disappointment, massive disappointment. Um, the man was supposed to have the sweetest swing in the Yankees minor leagues. I, hear, I can hear Susan Waldman saying it now. Uh, and and he just, you know, never lived up to the expectations, couldn't stay on the field, had bird bones protruding from his feet. There were things going on with this guy that could could not be explained. He was, you know, in the dugout or in the, um, not the dugout, the, uh, the, the, the tunnels when Derek Jeter was coming out to get recognized. And and just look like a sad sack of shit when uh, Jeter was in there. Like he would, didn't even warrant to be in his in his company. I'll never forget that video. It was it was depressing. It was revealing. It was all of the above. Greg Bird, you're on the list. Remember the comment when he I think he popped up with bases loaded to end a game, and then he said to reporters, "Well, I'll have another four or five or six thousand at bats to <laughs> yeah. to have the chance." I think he had well, like another twenty five at bats with the Yankees after that. So yeah. Just a jackass statement from a completely disappointing player. Number five, Ref Snyder. This one hurts. Man, this, one, this one hurts. This one we, hurts. We love Ref. He was he was the prospect we all grasped onto because he was a he's a quad A player. So he was tearing up AAA, and this was the era of what's his name, Stephen Drew. Stephen Just, Drew. The, look, the, one of the reasons why why Rob Ref Snyder's uh, you know cult following in my brain came about was because we had nothing. We had nothing. We had no Zero. hope in the minor leagues. There were not prospects that you're looking at, except for Rob Refsnyder, who was going through, just ripping through the minor leagues, ripping through, you know, alongside Judge uh, and the guys just down there with with the rest of winning championships in the minor leagues. And what? had a few moments, but was ultimately, ultimately, Stephen Drew was just a terrible, terrible baseball player. 
and he was playing a position that Rob Ref Center could have been in. And that was in, it, just infuriating in itself. And, you know, some injuries happened with him too. He couldn't stay on the field and just never ended up being uh, the guy that we we thought he might be able to be. If you're, a list- if you're a longtime listener of this podcast and you were listening back in 2015, our first ever season, I would say we mentioned Rob Ref Snyder's name at least once every 20 minutes of recording that season. <laughs> <laughs> because most episodes were spent questioning how the hell Steven Drew is still in the lineup and wondering why Rob Refsnyder has not been called up yet. So that was too, that's a little blast from the past glimpse into the 2015 season. Number four, Jesus Montero, Mr. Ice Cream Sandwich throwing Jesus Montero himself. This is, this is, you know, 10 years old. Did he throw the ice cream sandwich or did he threaten the guy that was selling the ice cream sandwiches? Didn't he have a verbal spat with him? I don't remember if there was an actual altercation or he threw something. See, this, this is, this is like revisionist history. I don't know. I know it's an ice cream sandwich. I don't know if he yelled at an ice cream sandwich vendor or threw an ice cream sandwich at somebody. I don't, I I like that. I think let's go with that. You know, ice cream cone. He threw an ice cream cone at a kid in the stands. I like that. That's that's exactly (laughs) No, it was definitely an ice cream sandwich. I am positive. This story involves an ice cream sandwich. I don't know exactly how it involves an ice cream sandwich. But Jesus Montero, he was the Yankees' number one prospect for for a few years. And then he came up, I think it was 2011, actually electrified Yankees fans yeah. in the very short yeah. amount We're of like, time. We're like, oh my gosh, up. we got one. We got one. Because he 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 crushed the ball. I'm going to look up his numbers right now. Um, it, and then the short- he ate. Too many ice cream sandwiches. Then he ate his way out of the league. So with the Yankees in 2011, he had 69 plate appearances. Nice. Hit 328 with a 406 on base percentage, four home runs, 12 RBIs in in a very short amount of time. He was mainly a DH. We're all like, okay, maybe he's a long-term DH first baseman. But then, boom, that offseason, he gets traded. He gets traded for number three on this list. Big Mike, Michael Pineda, Mr. Mr. Um, Cars dealership, flapping arms himself. Flapping wind guy. One of the most frustrating pitchers to ever watch on, an, on a game-to-game basis because well, you, you looked at his stuff and you're like, oh my God, an elite number one starting pitcher. Potential. 6'9", what, what is he, 325 pounds. He's a the, thousand the guy is just pounds. A, a, a man out there, just like a just a massive human being. You know, he's got the 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 low the low brim, like intimidating looking. Not in a million years would I want to step into the the box going up against a guy like Michael Pineda, like Armando Benitez, like like that type of, of of big man that you just you just you could fear. You could see that there should be a fear in someone's eyes when that guy's up there. And if he had just he was sucked, so inconsistent. If he had just sucked always, maybe he wouldn't be on this list. But he didn't always suck. He would have games where he would absolutely shove. The biggest one being, I think, it was 16 strikeouts on Mother's Day against the Orioles one year. And it's like he had games. He was absolutely lights out. And you're like, why can't you just be 80% of that on a consistent basis? He could never find it consistently. He was insanely infuriating. And I'm not even blaming Cashman for the trade. I still think it was a good trade. If you want to pick a winner of that trade, I guess the Yankees won because Pineda did better on the field than Jesus Montero did for the Mariners. But Michael Pineda, number three on this list, one of the most disappointing pitchers. Frustrating. 
Yeah, infuriating players. Uh, next, next on the list is uh, probably the most infuriating player that I've ever experienced or have experienced in a very long time. And honestly, maybe it was because it was also on the back of Michael Pineda, uh, you know, dealing with Pineda. And then, and then, you know, I, I didn't get to do this because there was no game. But Sonny Gray is my daddy. It was the uh, was the bet that I lost, and and I had to chug a beer in in two hundred five during an event and say those words, which was going to kill me. Um, but luckily, the season got canceled or the games got canceled, so that hasn't happened yet. Saved, saved, saved by COVID. But um, Sunny Gray, Sunny Gray is the guy. Sunny Gray, another Brian Cashman move that on paper, when you're looking at it and you look at the deal, it should have worked. It was a good deal. It was the right move, and. I, ultimately, Sonny Gray just couldn't put it together. Another guy who has all the tools in the world looks looks like um, you know he's got the arsenal to to come out there and uh, and change pitches on on guys and you know pinpoint zone. He just never could put it together and was completely owned by the New York City market. Owned absolutely owned by the pressure by the market. The man the man had uh, you know a set this the size of. Uh, raisins. The man. The man could do nothing. Could Go do nothing the in New York. Of it was. It was infuriating watching because he should have and had the ability to do more. Ultimately, one of the more dis- most disappointing players I've ever experienced. He was good in Oakland. He's been good in Cincinnati, and he absolutely sucked with the Yankees. He was supposed to be the difference between not championship and championship caliber for the for that Yankees team, and he just wasn't. So yes, absolutely, Sonny Gray, number two. Number one, Gary Sanchez. And he might be the most disappointing player that any of us have in our lifetime because the potential- You know, a lot of people are going to disagree with that. A lot of people are going to disagree with that. Disagree with the statement that he was disappointing? Um, Yeah, at at the top of the list. I mean, he has played- you know, a, a pretty good amount of major league games has but, flashed. We've seen good and still even when bad puts up good power and offensive numbers. Okay. Some people will say that you are very wrong with this. Some people we are, are very stupid. That this. Some people are stupid, but this is Gary- all about expectations. Like this list is, a, is, is built and, and, and it starts with expectations. That's where it starts. So ultimately to be disappointing, you need to be, very high on someone's list uh, as far as like what the expectations are and what you you think they can be to the team and he just has not lived up to what he was what he should have been if you did a if you did a major league draft of general managers picking players to like okay you're building a new franchise today is the first day of it if you did that draft after to the 2016 season in which Gary Sanchez just exploded onto the scene, he would have gone top 10 in Major League Baseball. I'm he not would have exaggerating. Gone top five. A lot of people want to probably build with a catcher. I, right. I, I, and you know, I don't even disagree with that. Maybe he wouldn't have been one. Mike Trout would have been one. He wouldn't have been top three. I'd say between five and 10 because that's how important the catcher position is, how hard it is to find a catcher, and how good we all thought he was going to be. And how different he was because of the offensive production. And he did back it up in 2017. Was he Babe Ruth at the plate? No, but he was an all-star player in 2017. And we're still saying, okay, if this is what Gary Sanchez is going to be season in and season out, boom, awesome. Top 15, top 20 player in Major League Baseball. And he's just gotten worse and worse and worse. The catching situation for the Yankees has been a freaking disaster for the past few years. So much so that there's been a controversy every year and the number one pitcher that you sign on the free agent market refuses to throw to him. I'm sorry. If anyone thinks he's anything other than a disappointment, they're morons. 
Uh, yeah, so it's a big disappointment in my eyes. The guy just uh, st- still opportunity to turn it around. What if he puts together a great season this year? I, if, I think this is, this is his last season with the Yankees, no matter what happens. I cannot envision a scenario in which they sign him to a long-term contract. Even if he hits 35 home runs, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't know. I hope he. I hope he proves. Us, I hope he proves everybody wrong eventually, finally this year. Uh, but it's just the consistency is just the the biggest thing it's been missing for him, and it's been different things and why why it's happening. So for that reason, I I, I can't see him putting all together for one year because it just seems like some other thing will go wrong. He'll put or, it together for 50 at-bats. He'll yeah. put it together for two months, and, and that's it. It, it. Like he did in the middle of 2021. He had a really good middle of the season this past year. And and ultimately, it was... it was. I mean, he did get, he did end up getting COVID, lost weight. With like that, You could look at that as a very real determining factor in why he fell off as well. Maybe he was turning the corner, and, and something like that can derail you. I mean, that absolutely can happen. So, yeah, but... Number one for Gary Sanchez on this list. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll do another top 10 list. I think we're probably going to stick with these top 10 lists for the remainder of the lockout, which who knows how the hell long that'll go. Hope everyone has an awesome Christmas and has had an awesome holiday season. Scott and I will talk to you again right before the new year. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.